Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin. And for this episode, I'm very pleased to bring on to our show as a guest, Ms. Leanne Deitch. Ms. Deitch is a social worker with Lind County Mental Health, uh, who has a passion for pain, has really done some amazing work with Lind County with a pretty high-risk population, uh, including revamping and completely redeveloping a pain program, uh, which she has uh, created with the acronym of ACT, A-A-C-T, which I'm sure we will get into this program. Now, on a personal note, Leanne is a um, someone I've had some wonderful interactions with. She is a pillar in our community, uh, has, again, done so much when it comes to the treatment of persistent pain for, um, again, a high-risk population and beyond that. Uh, she has roots in community organizing. She used to work for a labor union, and you would think that that would have nothing to do with today's show, but it actually has everything today's show, because when you're looking at trying to transform society and transform an understanding of pain, uh, what you really need is someone who understands community and how to get the community engaged. And so Ms. Deich, or Leanne, if I, I would prefer to just talk to you by your first name, welcome mm -hmm. to the show. Thank you, Kevin. All right. So, um, you know, this is always exciting to me because I love talking to you, but could, could you give some background to the listeners of, of who you are like, and, and really kind of give some details on how you ended up where you are and what were your previous experiences when it came to working with pain? Because we know, you know, county health facilities, no matter what type, that is a that's a tough population. That's really a safety net population. And so what were your experiences? How did you end up there? And what were your experiences in, in, in uh, previously with that? So I came onto the adult outpatient team uh, spring of 2014. And right away, I asked what groups were needed. And I was told immediately groups for people with chronic pain. Uh, so I went and did a bit of research around that and found a workbook. Um, it's called Living Beyond Your Pain. So it was using uh, acceptance and commitment therapy for people with chronic pain. And I uh, kind of modeled my curriculum following kind of the structure and flow of that workbook um, and started teaching groups. And, um, and it worked really well. And people really seemed to enjoy that. Um, and people really enjoyed the coming together. Um, we even one summer had a big picnic in the park for everyone who had been a participant uh, in the classes. Um, and I moved into doing that exclusively, in fact, in the cities of Corvallis, Lebanon, Albany, and Sweet Home. And I would travel there and do intakes for people to come into the classes and then facilitate the classes. Um, so I asked what the need was, and and then I went for it. <laughs> That's how I got started there. And so once once you asked for that need, and then you kind of went into it, what did you discover? Uh, that the acceptance and commitment piece um, and those tools and techniques could be really effective. Um, but I didn't necessarily see a whole lot of people actually changing their pain. Um, or experiencing less pain. My observation was actually the people who really embraced responsibility for their own health and wellness um, and consistently and diligently were moving their bodies and contributing in some manner um, and getting out of their home and just really, really being active participants in their life. They saw change, um, uh, but for the most part, people were still... Um, 
even though we talked about how the traditional Western interventional treatments are not long-term treatments or, or cures or, or effective or even appropriate for pain, a lot of people were still um, looking to that as, um, as a way to gain relief. Um, so, so part of it was really effective, but part of it still maintained kind of a um, helplessness. There's not anything I can do um, for my pain, which is kind of how traditionally acceptance and commitment therapy is set up with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. I was, was going to bring that in because that's sort of like the model for, and for, right. for in fact, a lot of different chronic pain groups is the supposition that there's nothing you can really do about your pain. Uh, what mm-hmm. you can do is either uh, function better or like an ACT where you're living a more meaningful life that you can still have a life of meaning despite your pain. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. Yeah, and uh, and so pain is not it, it, it is is fascinating to me. So many pain management groups, there is not a focus on pain. It's about about everything else. And those tools and techniques can be very good, mm-hmm. but they just don't seem to be. Um, but again, it's not necessarily it's doing what you can despite or in in um, uh, despite your pain rather than doing something that can also have some benefit to your pain. So. Yes. I find that interesting. Now, mm-hmm. on a on a personal note, though, you, you kind of again, you went into this because you asked what the need was. Mm-hmm. And so now you're working in a patient population that you may not have had a lot of exposure with pain. I mean, everybody is at experience of pain personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, it, you know, this wasn't something um, again, it wasn't something that you were drawn to initially. So what then happened? How, how did you become? How did you become so involved in the pain community? <laughs> so you and I met at a meeting just um, very haphazardly. <laughs> we happened to be at the same meeting, Kevin. Um, and uh, after the meeting, you stopped me and you bothered to just ask more about what I was doing in the model that I was using. Um, and then you followed up with an email. And I remember in the email, it was very much a, um, I'm not I'm not challenging anything. I'm just curious, Leanne. <laughs> Can you tell me more about X, Y, Z? And then you uh, you linked me with Sharna Prasad, physical therapist. And both of you had invited me to uh, Lorimer Mosley and David Butler's Explain Pain Training that was in Seattle, December of 2016. And you had invited me to it. And I thought, ah, oh, I just, I, I can't ask my employer. That's too much money. <laughs> But then Sharna asked me to, and I thought, you know, uh, shoot, I can ask. And they were, they supported it. My administration has always been so supportive um, of this work and and this endeavor. So I went up there to that training um, and that was, um, wow, that was extraordinarily eye-opening. And also to be surrounded by a whole room full of people um, just wanting to go in this direction and wanting to learn or, or, or already having a huge knowledge base in this area um, really helped me to see that there were some changes that I needed to make. And, and it was very helpful that you and Sharna, you didn't say, you're doing this wrong, Leanne. <laughs> you know, um, you need to do it this way, but that um, you were great teachers and that you just kind of guided me in a direction and allowed me to see for myself, which is truly the best way that I learn. <laughs> if I would have felt um, imposed upon or pushed or put down um, 
you and I probably wouldn't be sitting here having a conversation <laughs> right now. Uh, and, and I do think that's important is, is, um, is because we don't, it's not about necessarily uh, confronting people. Right. Mm-hmm. And particularly when about, when we've talked about beliefs and things a lot, but, um, but challenging is a little bit different. Like challenging, if you're coming from a place of curiosity, which I always love, cause you always bring that up. How do you approach this with a, with a coming from a place of curiosity and do, I know you do that in your groups when it comes to pain and it is extraordinarily useful, mm-hmm. but, um, being curious because the other thing is it, it came, it was very clear from the get go where your intention was with what you did. You did what you did with the program and tool set that you had to help those individuals that were that that you were privileged to care for. And, um, and I just bring that up because I have a tendency. I have challenged other people a little bit more overtly um, in the past. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, I, I wish I was the most patient, understanding person in the world. You've seen me get frustrated. But it's a little bit different when you see someone who's really trying to to make a difference in um yeah. And your intention was always there. Your, your intention was always there. Yeah. I just, I just want to do right by the people that I serve. Um, and that includes um, bringing accurate and up-to-date information to them. Um, the last thing, yeah. The last thing I want to do is look like an ass and be an ass. And, no, I just, I just want to do right by my community is, is, um, is what I'm driven to do. Well, and, and what's interesting that, um, you know, we went to that and there was, it was, we had a great cohort that went up there and that was mm-hmm. a fantastic event. Um, I don't mm-hmm. normally go to quote unquote, a lot of pain events anymore because I think most of them are depressing and out of date. But if you, as a listener, if you have a chance and you're particularly a clinician to go to EP3, Explain Pain 3, uh, which is sort of the higher master's level, uh, Butler Mosley um, program when it, when it, whenever it is available, uh, you probably want a little bit of foundation in, in some pain science, but it is it is amazing. Um, but after you came back, you, you were like on fire. Yeah, it was you were I mean, there's so much came out of that that December 2016 kind of thing. Um, so what happened when you went back to your groups? Uh, well, I realized that I had a lot to change. And so um, and so I just started studying. And, uh, that's how I spent my weekends for about a year and a half, um, is studying and revising the curriculum. Um, and it took a while. Even when you get it on an intellectual level, it's a different experience to get it on a, I don't know what you call it, a full body level, like a real, a real full embracing of it. Um, and I'm aware that there are certain concepts that I haven't even quite had that experience yet. Um, but it's a process. So I just started studying and revising, uh, the curriculum. And so for some folks that had been around a bit and, and been hearing the old stuff, um, it was a little, it was a little shocking and maybe even a little scary, um, because it was quite a shift. (laughs) But, you know, that, that actually brings up another um, interesting thing, because I haven't been able to figure out. I know there's got to be a word for it, but there is a difference between intellectualizing information and then that, you know, what what is it when you call it? Because there I, I mean, I and we I'm sure we've we've been around people, right, that say something and they and they can say the words and the verbiage. 
but it is very clear in their actions and their intentions and you know kind of the next step that they don't fully comprehend what that means so maybe mm-hmm. it is that's the it's the meaning behind that thought right. um and and that you know that that's and I, I think that's, you know, when you look at particularly group interventions, if you look at a lot of the interventions for pain, it's it's really interesting to see is because the verbiage that will even use in papers will be describing in such in such a way. But the actual that transformation that takes that that transformation of meaning and embodiment of what what that concept truly entails, mm-hmm. that is that can be very difficult to elicit. Um, or facilitate, I think would probably be, even be a better word to facilitate that transformation. Um, so, you know, you just kind of revealed it took, you you know, it was a year and a half of studying and, and I do think it's interesting because now it's like, you're like, well, I know there's other things, but you're aware of them. Mm-hmm. So how, how have you found that you've been, when you, in your groups, how are you trying to, cause I'm sure you have people in your groups that are doing the same thing. They may be able to say, well, yeah, I know this, this, and this, but you're like, but you don't really know this and this because I can tell who the actions. How are you? What are your your steps that you're trying to do there? Um. Well. Uh, so I've become a lot more fluid in how I deliver the groups. Um, I used to be very, you know, I had a PowerPoint and and we just went slide by slide. And now um, I'm much more free about that. I just use the whiteboard a lot more and feel comfortable that when I see that people aren't getting something or they're grasping for something, particularly when I see them um, wanting to get something so badly, uh, to just stop and go there. Last, For instance, last week um, on a couple of the feedback forms, um, there's a spot that says, is anything unclear? And a couple has said um, about, you know, pain is in my brain. And so I thought, okay, they're, they're starting to get it. They want to get it, um, but, but are not quite there. And that's very understandable because this is a really radical concept um, considering the knowledge base that, that we are coming from. Um, so I just went up to the flipboard and said, you know, I wrote, you know, um, the brain makes pain. Um, pain is constructed in the brain. Pain is an output of brain. I said, what does this mean to you? and just went to everybody. What does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? Yeah. <laughs> and just really tried to, to dig down and elicit examples. Um, and I think people get it, get it when they have those personal experiences or when they can look back in their life or, or look to um, someone in their life that they know well and can see it actually in action. And I think that's what helps to solidify that. Um, so to, to meet our folks where they're at and um, a lot of it has been to me overcoming my fear of not having the answers uh, <laughs> and being willing to go there wherever there might be, um, uh, just in order to see what comes of that. And, and, um, cause sometimes it, it can't be known what's going to be helpful to somebody unless you, you kind of go into unfamiliar territory. Yeah. And, and anytime that you're, you're moving closer to, to the client really, isn't that that's oftentimes unknown. 
because that's right. their kind of domain. And what, right. what it sounds like you're really doing is you're stepping outside of your domain, which would be the traditional PowerPoint. I have a screen and I'm going to, you know, full bore. We're going to get through this presentation, whether or not you guys are going to engage in it. Um, but to step outside that and move into their domain, that's unknown, you know, because mm -hmm. we don't know what it's like for them. Mm -hmm. it's it, so there's a there's a buzzword that you said and we have talked about it on this podcast multiple times but i i i'm sure there are listeners if particularly if this is the first episode you've heard um that already their hackles are right are raised and what you said was um you know your pain your pain comes from your brain or your pain is a construct of the brain so are so someone's but my pain is real how do you how how do you with your with your with your clients um, does that a conflict that you see arise in those discussions at all and if so how do you deal with it? Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. That that cut out just before um, that last part um, For, uh, about the pain in the brain and your clients. Yes, and um, I was just going to say was how does that um, does that conflict ever come to be where you have someone who you know while well, you're saying my pain is in my brain but it's real and then. Um, how, you know, have you number? How how have you addressed that with your clients in a way? And if how do have they felt? Have um, mm -hmm. uh, I guess with the, on the on the pro side, have people who have engaged with that, and, and on the con side, mm -hmm. what what do you think the struggles are with people who haven't engaged with that? Yeah, well, um, I don't start out talking about that. <laughs> 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 that comes a little bit later now in the curriculum. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've changed protection and really helping our folks um, feel safer and embrace safety. So that's where I start with the group. I just start um, with overall safety. I start out by talking about something that everybody can relate to, and that's a universal talked about experience, and that's stress. So I start there, um, educating around stress and physiological responses of stress, how we calm down for stress. Everyone starts out with a dedicated practice um, of deep breathing. So, um, so there's an education piece to that. There's, um, a starting to get familiar with one's own brain and physiology, but it's also starting to create a safe environment in the class mm -hmm. so that when I'm heading into more, maybe, um, what might be perceived as controversial material that I have a level of trust, um, with my students in the class so that, um, as, as you say, Kevin, if they're going to call me full of shit, then they'll put a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> right. So I don't get people walking out the door necessarily. Um, cause that was happening <laughs> when I first made the switch to the pain science. Um, and I just, I was, re I was reading a post on Facebook last night on one of the, um, the uh, pain science Facebook groups that I belong to. And it was a clinician saying, you know, I had to be really careful because once I learned this stuff, I was really passionate. I would just vomit it out at people and they weren't quite there yet. <laughs> so, so I've, I've watched reactions and I've experienced personally those reactions and some of them um, were fairly painful in their own right um, and adjusted myself. So I, I start out with creating a safe environment so that when I start to go there, that people may be more open to that, even if it feels uncomfortable. 
No, absolutely. And and just for for people who don't aware are aware about the question mark statement, what that what that is 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 um, basically warning people up front if you're or providing an environment where they feel safe enough that rather than if if their belief systems or ideas are getting challenged and they react is to encourage them to react with a question mark and, and instead you know instead of the we're not supposed to use those words on this podcast by the way oh, oh i'm sorry <laughs> instead of you're full of sh- shoot <laughs> dr kukaro exclamation point is get people to respond with are you full of shoot dr kukaro with a question mark because a question mark allows a dialogue um and now you can have a discussion but those statements when you're in and, and, and if and as a clinician if you're responding in ways of statements you're not allowing that dialogue even with your patient or your client. And, and uh, you know, I, I do think that's important for both people. For the, for, so the clients is to provide an, an environment where they know that it's a, you know, questioning is good. That's a, we want to encourage that. Statements aren't good. But from a clinician standpoint, it's also important that we, and I think you, you kind of describe that in the way that you've now approached your discussions where you're leaving them open-ended. And with that, there's a lot more questioning on your end. Do you, you know, how does this relate to you? Does this make sense to you? Where else could you see this apply to you? And it's, it's kind of interesting that, that we move away from statements the more we understand into more of a question-based format. So I, I just wanted to kind of overlay that because I'm so sure people didn't understand, may have not heard that before, but what does that mean, question mark versus a statement? So Yeah, and I think that's related to a, a sense of safety too, right? Mm-hmm. I've still, I have at least some sense of safety here if I'm willing to question and explore um, versus shut you down and walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to, in order to have that discussion, yeah, just like you said, you have to have a measure of safety uh, in anything that you're doing. Right. Um, and I think that's a, that's a, that is a great point. How can you help people to feel safe enough that you can have a discussion? And that, and that really, I mean, safety is really what this is all about. Yes. Uh, <laughs> pain be protection and all, right? Yeah. Well, and, and particularly with your group, because as we, as in, is, um, it, it, the, the, you're working with a really difficult, challenging, I shouldn't say difficult, a challenging population because for many of them, they may have never had an opportunity to feel right. safe based on the environments right. that they that they were living in and may still be living in now when they're right. trying to work through this. Right. Uh, oh yeah, my my peeps uh, may never have felt safe or have not felt safe um, for a long, long, long time. Even though most most yeah, the people that I that I work with. Um, are are safe now well i guess that's all relative right Mm -hmm. Um, living in poverty (laughs) um you know is certainly a um, an ongoing stressor but the perception of not being safe stays with people well beyond um even if they are physically safe now Mm -hmm. and that's the perception is is really that's the reality yeah that, that so what what have you done to try to encourage that with an awareness that um uh, it can be on the scope of this podcast, but recognizing that particularly early life stress and trauma affects the way that we perceive stress differently, but how you frame that to an adult who has experienced that and how their brain reacts. Um, have you, have you changed that? Cause there, again, there's a difference between saying, well, you had all these experiences. Now you're permanently broken. This is just the way it is, or you've had these experiences. This is what it means. And how, how are you doing that with your group? Um, 
you cut out a little bit there, so I'll, I'll, I'll start. Let me know if I'm off track here. Um, so education, um, and, and that's, that's the extraordinary thing of, of modern pain science is it's so innately hopeful and it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about how when humans are chronically threatened, the brain will change to be on high alert for danger all the time as a survival mechanism. And that makes sense. Um, And then we talk about neuroplasticity and what that means. And I say, so neuroplasticity got us into this mess and it's what's going to get us out of it. Um, So, so it's starting to look at the brain um, and what the brain is doing as not our enemy or something trying to um, punish us or that it's broken, but that it's, um, it's responding Um, it's responding to a world of danger in a way to protect and keep us safe. And that's exactly what we would want it to do. Um, But it doesn't change back on its own. Um, We, uh, we do that through our, um, through changing our beliefs and our thinking patterns and our behaviors. We uh, let the brain know that we are safe now. And that's what starts that transformation. And, and when the pain, so another part that's um, just amazing about modern pain science is necessarily as you're changing pain, you're changing um, anxiety and uh, symptoms of post-traumatic stress and depression. Like all of it shifts together um, because they're all outputs of the brain. And that, that brings up, um, uh, probably don't have to be able to be able to go into depth in this particular podcast, but can you introduce how you've started applying uh, what you've learned and the concepts that you have into the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder, which people mm-hmm. often see as, is comorbid with pain, but you're using a very similar tool set when it comes to actually addressing post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it goes back to safety, embracing the reality um, that I'm safe and and beginning to perceive my world as safe. So I actually created um, kind of a formula and that, so you, you gave my acronym as AACT and that's a spinoff of ACT, A-C-T. And so, um, so the progression of the class is we, we understand stress. We begin to start calming ourselves down. Also, I have um, gentle yoga as a part of every class. Um, to facilitate, you know, uh, decreasing that hypervigilance, relaxing, getting in touch with the body and breath. Um, we educate about pain, we educate about persistent pain, and then we take a look at deconstructing it and reconceptualizing it. So in this formula, the process um, goes like this. Basically, um, first and foremost, when I recognize I'm in pain, whatever that pain may be, that could be, um, uh, you know, I'm identifying that as a persistent pain sensation or emotional pain. Um, breathe. I'm breathing, right? I'm, I'm starting to um, take diaphragmatic breaths to calm my nervous system, to shift back into my prefrontal cortex so I can go through the rest of the process. I assess my safety assess my physical safety, assess my environmental safety. So I know legitimately um, if I am indeed safe. And then once I know that, um, then I start kind of deconstructing the pain triangle. First, I must be aware of my experience as it's happening. um, So then I can start 
to change it. So the awareness is of in real time, the sensations I'm experiencing, um, the emotions, the memories that are surfacing in relationship to those sensations um, and, and uh, my fears, right? What am I afraid of or kind of the, the catastrophizing that's happening around that. Taking a moment to simply accept that this is what's happening right now. Um, and along with acceptance, I think necessarily must go some self-compassion. Um, just allowing oneself to recognize that um, this is challenging, this is difficult. Um, however, I am safe and I'm okay just as I am in this moment. Alternative to resisting the experience or struggling with it or numbing out to it, um, all of those will inhibit my ability to make any change. Um, and then choosing, you know, how so. So the relationship here, so this is the way I say, so your brain is essentially in this black box, right? This black box of your skull. It has these sensations coming to it from um, the inside world of your body as well as the outside world of the environment. And it only has one thing to go on to make sense of this, to make sense of these sensations in context. Um, what do you think that is? And that's memory, right? What happened before um, and what did it mean to me? So, uh, so there's a meaning, right? There's a meaning piece to my pain. Um, and then there's some kind of prediction. I'm taking that meaning and then predicting that into the future of what I expect will happen. Um, and typically that's, I expect what will happen again to what happened in the past. Um, so the neat thing about that is um, actually I can choose the meaning that I assign and I can choose what I predict to happen Next, I have 100% um, control over those aspects. And what I find when people start to shift meaning around, they're shifting meaning around past traumatic events. They're shifting an identity that's been tied to those past traumatic events. Um, they're recognizing um, where their fear comes from and what they're afraid of, again, connected um, to these belief systems and meaning of the past, um, and really uh, making a more empowered meaning and prediction around their pain experience and their past. So it's just everything, everything is so enmeshed <laughs> in that experience. Um, and then, um, and then not just um, shifting meaning and prediction, but also engage. So, so it's not just, I, I'm not just psychologically letting my brain know that I'm safe, but I'm demonstrating safety um, through actions that, that calm me down, that calm down my protective system. So that can be um, gentle movement. It can be mindfulness. It can be grounding myself. Um, anything that calms the protective system will change my pain. So um, one, one example, and um, it's on one of your previous podcasts that I listened to, it's Cindy's example that I really love. And it's so powerful to be able to bring these examples um, to others to help them see this in action. Um, with Cindy describing what was happening when she started running again, and how when she'd get at the point of breathlessness, um, she'd have a panic attack. And and the, and the she described how her immediate response was to, oh, I guess I'm just never going to run again, you know, feeling frustrated and defeated. But then, wait a minute, wait a minute. Brain, what are you trying to protect me from? 
and relating that to the past that when she couldn't breathe in the past, it was because someone wasn't allowing her to breathe and bad things were happening. And once she recognized that that was the memory that was surfacing and that was her her brain simply didn't want that to happen again, um, understandably so. She describes how when she'd run, like with each pump of her fist in the running would be, I'm safe, I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm okay. So engaging in the action while literally sending that message back to her brain um, allowed her um, to move well beyond that to running 12 miles a day. Um, So psychologically embracing safety, physically demonstrating safety and understanding um, that my brain is trying to protect me from a very scary and painful past when I needed protecting. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love that process. Um, we, we didn't explain the acronym exactly. So I, I'm going to spell it out now that the AACT of which uh, Leanne has kind of taken us through is awareness, acceptance, choice, and transformation. And, yes. uh, and it is, and it is extraordinarily powerful just to, to recognize how that process works and then to be able to facilitate uh, a client's being able to take that, to go through that process. Um, it, it is quite literally transformative as, mm-hmm. as, um, as we've seen. So, well, I, I don't, we could, in fact, we will talk. I will, we're going to do another episode in the future uh, just to prepare you in advance because we have way more that we can discuss right now, but we've already gone a little over 30 minutes now. So um, are there any last words? Is it, if, and I, I, last words, and this is what I, what I mean by this, for final words for this particular episode, if you have somebody who, or we had somebody who's listening right now that um, is experiencing pers- for persistent pain, maybe they're trying to find something different, what would, what would you want them, what's one takeaway that you would want them to come away from this interview with? And on the same token, as a clinician, because there's a lot of clinicians that listen to this program that are struggling, that think that, you know, that there has to be something better, but, and maybe they're sort of juggling around with the science a little bit. Um, but it's confusing, you know, we, you know, we've all gone through the year, two years, three years of reading all the time, trying to figure it out, but what would you want them to know? So what would you want a person, a client in the community to know? And what one takeaway would you want a clinician who maybe is just starting or in the middle of their journey? uh, Sure. Um, well, and, and one thing that that just made me think of is that someone in the, in the class wrote something on her feedback form that I immediately addressed with her um, was this feeling as um, that she was to blame that her, that her brain was like that because of her traumatic past. And I shared with her uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Lisa Feldman Barrett from how emotions are made is sometimes we're responsible for something, not because we're to blame, but because we're the only ones who can change it. Um, And I think that pain science is so hopeful and it is so empowering um, and it requires us to really embrace and take responsibility for own health and wellness. And I know that really goes against the grain um, of how pain has been treated um, until this new science came about, which was very, very much... um, um, in, in a, a passive and, and reliant type of manner. Um, and then there's the self uh, um, efficacy component of it, right? That if I haven't had past successes, it's kind of hard for me to picture that I can have them in the future. Um, but one, one thing, in fact, that Cindy just mentioned yesterday, she said, 
goals. Just start setting small goals, just one small goal at a time um, and start to see that that you can move in that direction. Um, And then achieving those small goals then develops that sense of self-efficacy and keeps you moving in the direction that you want to head. Uh, I think this process is also really important that we do it together. And there's the community piece, right? Um, that, and that's why we have classes in our community um, and that people from those classes have created their own um, natural um, uh, community groups that that happen um, in their homes <laughs> and, and community centers and outside of our classes so that that support and that encouragement um, that that continues to happen. I think for clinicians, um, just to be patient with the process and to really think about, so what would this look like if I move from a fixer to a facilitator? Um, And not just what that would look and feel like professionally, but what does that mean in terms of my Mm -hmm. self-identity? Because this is... um, this belief system shift is not just about beliefs around pain, but how we perceive ourselves um, as individuals and in our professional roles um, and, and um, seek out people who, who are also interested in exploring this or have a knowledge base here. Um, just the other day I was doing a reality check with you, Kevin and Sharna, because sometimes it feels very alone in this, in this process, in this endeavor, and I can get a little too much in my head about it. (laughs) So having a, having a reality check can be really, really helpful. Um, uh, just to help me recognize, um, you know, kind of where, where I'm at and what I'm doing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess that, that would be maybe some of my, my parting words, uh, to folks in the community and clinicians. Uh, And those are, those are some really important parting words. I mean, r- really, really important parting words. And I wish we, I mean, we really could do a whole episode on that because that, that aspect of feeling alone, um, particularly from a clinical standpoint, if, and I know if, if folks, if you're out there listening, uh, it, we've been through it. I know I have, I know Leanne has, where you were feeling completely isolated. No, you may even feel like you're slightly crazy when you're kind of going through this information because the system, the healthcare system is simply not consistent with what we know about pain uh, and that can be remarkably disconcerting and when your colleagues are, are just doing one thing or and and, and you know we, we see funding streams that aren't going the, the way we would like to see them um that's horrible i mean it, it is horrible but the advantage that we have in this day and age is uh, what with with all the cons that people say about the internet it certainly makes connection easier so if you are in an isolated community somewhere, and that isolated community could be in the middle of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but it, or it could be in the middle of uh, you know Fargo, North Dakota, where you're the only practitioner out there. Uh, there are now there's more groups, there's more people that are talking about that. Um, you know, obviously, if you're a clinician out there struggling, feel free feel free to email me. My contact information is on the website and things like that. But uh, you are not alone. That's the, that's the key thing. There, there we are. The community is getting larger out there. So, mm-hmm. well, anyway, Leanne, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I, every time I talk to you with you, I always learn something on my end. Um, you are just a gem when it comes to our community and the, and the work that you have done uh, has been quite literally transformative and the impact that you have had locally 
Uh, and again, on, on the state level, is being there's we're seeing re- reverberations now on the state level here. So that is it's like ripples throwing that rock in the in the pond. There's some ripples that are going out, and some I think that you haven't even seen yet. So. Uh, well, Kevin, it, thank you. Thank you so very, very, very much <laughs> for for being a, a patient teacher and, and a support and, and a sounding board through this process. I really, really, this has been quite an incredible journey. <laughs> it's been my privilege through the, the through all of it. Um, and for everybody else out there, this is the end of Straight Shot Health Talk. And uh, thank you for joining us. And again, if you have questions, feel free to reach out. Um, I do want to put, there's a new resource that, that we have available uh, that comes from Straight Shot Health, and that is uh, www.thepainclass.com that provides a pretty easy introduction to pain science for clinicians. Um, uh, in some conceptual models and things there, and I invite you to, to try that out if you're interested in learning more. And until next time, guys, stay well. <laughs>